You're listening to Kill Cliff's Hazard Ground Podcast with service members from across the military sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Joining us this week on the Hazard Ground is a retired Army sergeant who spent five years on active duty in the U.S. Army, where a bulk of his time was spent as a member of a Protective Services Detachment, or a PSD. He's got multiple deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan in that role, and he currently serves the Army in a civilian position working for the Department of the Army Police as a desk sergeant at Fort Hamilton in Brooklyn, New York. He is Kevin Haley joining us on the Hazard Ground Podcast. Kevin, welcome, man. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. Love the podcast. Thank you. And for those listening, Kevin is actually a self-suggestion, a fan of the podcast, reached out and wrote us and wanted to share his story with us. And I think that's so amazing. And I hope that all of you, if you have a story to tell here on this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. So credit to Kevin for having the guts to reach out to us and wanting to share his story and wanting to tell it to everybody. So certainly we appreciate you being a fan. And certainly, again, thank you for uh, for reaching out to us. Well, thank you so much. You know, I just wanted to reach out because I think I can give a, a, a different aspect of uh, the side of the army that I got to see and work with was which was mainly at the executive level. Um, so I hope people enjoy it. Absolutely. All right. Well, tell us how you got your start. When and where did you get in the Army? Well, I'm from uh, northeast Wisconsin, a uh, small town, about 12,000 people. Uh, graduated high school in 2001. Ended up uh, going to college, got my associate's degree in police science. Uh, I was about 20 years old when I graduated, so I was still kind of young and I guess – maybe a little immature yet, but um, then I hit 2021 and probably did a little bit too much partying. Hmm. So, uh, (laughs) so I kind of lost a little bit of focus and uh, literally one day I just said, you know what? I'm going to join the military. So So where did you go? You you went to a recruiter's office or what? Yeah. So I went to recruiter's office um, and basically I was like, listen, if you can, because my whole goal in life was I always wanted to work in law enforcement. Um, so I was like, listen, if you can give me uh, military police, like I'm, I'm in, I'll join. Not a problem. So I ended up, uh, I think that was August of 2004. And I shipped out to Fort Leonard Wood in October of 2004. So there was no recruiting horror stories. They said, yep, you can go be an MP, and it was that simple? <laughs> no, well, it was it was weird because when I was in high school, I had like 300 drinking tickets. <laughs> so, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, because I, I'm in a small, I, you know, I live in a small town, so cops, you know, that's just, they're very, it's more proactive than reactive. Um, so there are, so my security clearance, and they tried talking to me, oh, well, we can get you like military intelligence. And I'm like, no, I want MP. And uh, yeah, I ended up getting it and uh, went to Fort Leonardwood, did my basic and my uh, OSUT, one station unit training, MP school. And once I was there, they told me, uh, hey, you're uh, getting shipped over to Germany. 
if you always wanted to be in law enforcement, why not just join the regular police? Like, why not you know sign up for your local police in the town that you lived in? Um, well, Wisconsin is very um, cheesy. It's you know it's very <laughs> it's, it's very hard. Um, actually, it's very I guess particular. Um, it's not like like I live in New York now. It's not like you're taking a test for New York City Police Department. Um, it's very uh, they're very selective and I was only 20 at the time. So I was still young. Um, I'm sure I was probably ready, but you know, I still only was 20 years old and I think to be a cop at 20 is, um, it's doable, but I was probably still a little immature. All right. So the army was the route for you. You ship off to, to basic Were you, did you have any preconceived notions about the military? Did you know anything about it? I knew nothing. Um, I had two uncles that were in the Marines. Uh, my grandfather was in the Air Force. Um, but I, I really knew nothing about it. I, I kind of went in. Um, but I've learned a lot about myself when I went in. Like, um, before I went in, I was, you know, smoking, drinking, you know, whatever. And then I never knew when I went in, but I, but I was a fantastic runner. I could run. So I always ran like 12, 13 minute, two miles. And I really? never knew that. People must have hated you for that. <laughs> but you know what the thing is? Because I'm six foot and I have long arms, I can't do push-ups for the life of me. Ah, okay. That's always, that was always my weakness, the push-ups. Mine was always the sit-ups. Still is. I mean, it's the only thing I've never sit-ups maxed for, on the Sit-ups were always PFT. easy because I learned to, um, if you kick your heels up, um, and then you just you go up and then you push yourself, and you, just, you don't use, use your body weight to go down and bounce yourself back up. Yeah, it, see, it doesn't work for me the way I'm built. I, I, you know, I, I think about seventy percent of my weight is from my chest, shoulders, arms, and head. So uh, I, I, I was, I was uh, bio, you know, bio. What's the word I'm looking for here? I'm, my body wasn't constructed properly for uh, old army sit-ups. But again, different discussion for yeah. a different day. Yeah, that was mine for that was mine for sit-ups or, or for push-ups. I couldn't do push-ups for for life, and everything else I could do, I could. I could do like 85, 90 sit-ups and just get up and still have 15 seconds left. Anatomically, that's the word I was looking for. It wasn't anatomically constructed for sit-ups. Anyway, all right, <laughs> so what was the, other than that, what was the hardest part about basic for you? Um, I don't think anything was really hard. Um, it was, you know, I kind of stayed to myself. I mean, you know, but you always have like your little clicks. So mm-hmm. I had, had some people that, you know, I hung around with here and we talked, but, um, for the most part, I just I was very quiet. It's funny because the last I think week that we were in, um, our senior drill sergeant walked in, and we had just got back from the field from our our FTX, and uh, I didn't pay attention, so I didn't call IDs and nothing like that. So so I got re I called down to, the, to my drill sergeant's office, and you know she smoked me a little bit, but uh, she's like, "Who are you?" I'm like, uh, PFC Haley. She's like, are you even in my platoon? <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I, I was very under the radar. Um, but yeah, basic was very simple. You just stick your, you know, just do what you're told. I remember, uh, waking up and doing PT like at five in the morning, looking up at the, at the sky and being like, what am I doing? <laughs> Did you think you had made the wrong decision? No, no, I never, I never thought I made the wrong decision. Um, I didn't know, uh, you know, where it was going to lead me because when I joined, my recruiter was like, 
um, you know, you can pick places where you want to be stationed. And he was like, oh, you should go to, you know, Fort Drum. You'll like it. Um, hmm. So I actually I picked Fort Drum. Which, thank God I never went there. Did he think you'd um, like it because you're from Wisconsin and it's cold up there and it's yeah, cold Fort Drum? Yeah, I think that's why. Yeah, well, that's really think, bad I logic. Think, yeah, yeah. So I was, I'm like, oh, thank God I didn't go to, didn't go to Fort Drum because I end up having, I have buddies who, uh, when I got out, they stayed in and uh, they went to Drum and <laughs> They really didn't care for it too much. Yeah, Watertown, New York, isn't uh, on the uh, most visited places in America for a reason. Yes, I, I definitely found that out from uh, fellow coworkers. So after you graduate basic and you go on to AIT and you start doing all of your MP stuff, are you like, okay, this is where I'm meant to be? Um, kind of, but you know what, like. The uh, the logic, a lot of the logic in in uh, AIT, at least for MPs, it's very little focused on law enforcement. Um, I, and that's, that probably could be because, you know, like it was 2004. So the big thing was more like, you know, convoy security, detaining ops, that kind of stuff. So it was only like two weeks of law enforcement stuff, which I mean, I already, I, I had already been to school for that and I had went to the, the certification to Wisconsin. So I knew that aspect of it. But I didn't realize, you know, like the regular um, sort of, you know, combat aspects of it. Right. So was there anything difficult about, you know, MP school that was that was most challenging for you? No, no, nothing at all. I was, it was very, uh, you know, the Army's, the Army's very dumbfounded the way they the way they do stuff they break it down very easily yeah so there's nothing there's nothing hard about it at all i mean it's just listen you just got to get up be where you got to be and that's it but i mean ait was because it's an osut like a one station unit training um we have the same base we have the same drill sergeants and all that stuff so it's basically not much different than basic except you probably just don't get smoked as much Right. That's it. That's really the only difference. I mean, there really was no difference. So what's next I for you in. after after uh, you graduate and, and you're officially an MP now? Yeah, so um, uh, so we're from, in formation, and they, uh, a lot of, actually, the majority of the people that were actually in my uh, basic and AIT were reservists mm-hmm. or National Guard. So there, was, there wasn't a whole lot of active duty. Um but the majority of us all went to uh, Germany, which was kind of weird. It'd be, I'd be like, well, I think if you were doing airborne, uh, you went to Bragg. And then uh, other than that, I think we had one person go to Drum. Uh, one person went to, they were, uh, what is it, in Kentucky? They went to the base there. Fort Campbell. Other than that, like, yeah, Fort Campbell, uh, those who were doing aerosol. So we ended up, uh, there was like 13 of us, I think, probably that went, that all got stationed in Germany or Belgium. Wow. So I get told, hey, uh, PFC Haley, um, I get my thing, but, it, you know, I was so, I didn't really know. It said V Corps. I'm like, so I asked my drill sergeant, like, what's a V Corps? He <laughs> goes, Fifth Corps, you idiot. <laughs> I had no clue. So, yeah, so next thing I know, like, literally, I, I had a, a small backpack of uh, 
probably two, three pairs of clothes. And next thing I know, I get, I get shuttled from Fort Leonard Wood to uh, St. Louis and I'm on a plane to Germany. Wow. So, so cu- I landed culture in shock for you, huh? Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, I wasn't everything that happened to me in my military career is just serendipity. Like it's just, it just happened. Um, and so I ended up landing at Frankfurt airport. Um, get off or you go find like the military liaison office or whatever. Um, and then they brought us to Rhine mine, uh, air force base, which is now closed. But, uh, so I went there, we stayed there like maybe two nights. It was pretty chill. You can do whatever you want. You just had to, you know, whatever, do some cleaning stuff. But, um, and then we sat in a room and we all got on a bus and they basically went around Germany dropping everybody off and I ended up in, um, Heidelberg, Germany, which is about an hour south of Frankfurt. Okay. Uh, so got there and yeah, it was, it was definitely a culture shock though. What was the, the first impression of Heidelberg? I mean, what, what were the guys telling you who were already there? And, uh, I mean, I, I have never been to any base in Germany. Uh, it's, it's funny because when I was filling out my order of merit list, as a lieutenant, I had heard from everybody, oh, you got to go to Europe. You got to go to Germany. It's the best place to go. You're going to love it. You party it up. It's just so much fun. And yeah, so it was fun. my first six uh, choices, because you get 10 on your order of merit list, my first six choices were all in Germany. Seven was Italy. Eight was Hawaii. Nine was Fort Carson. And 10 was Fort Lewis. Uh, and uh, I ended up in Fort Hood. So, you know, shoot me. But um, yeah, so I, I always heard great things about Germany, but I, I never, I've never been to a military post yeah, there. But you people know, I, love funny, it. Funny, you, you mentioned Italy. Um, but a few years back, just for on USA jobs, I just I applied for a desk sergeant job over there. You know, just to see what happened. I ended up getting the job, but I couldn't take it because I was uh, divorced and my my son's here. But yeah, I ended up I ended up getting a. I could have been in Vincenza for. Wow. Three years as the best margin. That's unreal. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what was what was kind of, the, you know, the what were the guys telling you about Heidelberg? Um, well, when I first showed up, it was, um, you know, it was kind of shocking. Like, I really didn't know anybody. Um, I was in a barracks room with three people, and it was me and two other people. And it was tiny. Like, like I had, like, a bed, a wall locker, and like a table and I probably had like maybe eight foot by eight foot space. That was it. Wow. <laughs> that, that was my living quarters in Germany. Um, until... So it's the same as you living in New York city now. <laughs> well, I, I can't complain now because I, I, I bought a, I bought a house, so okay. I, I, well, I can't complain. So I do have space, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of just shocking. Um, I had a um, my first platoon sergeant was a total asshole. Um, you know, I always I always look at it like you know treat me like an adult, and you know he he liked to play private games, mm-hmm. uh, which I knew joining that I wasn't going to stay in, but he actually uh, made sure that I definitely wanted to get out because he yeah, was just but a why shitty did you, hold on. Why did you know that you were going to get out? Um, because I always wanted to work in law enforcement. It was just, I just needed to get away, get some experience, get, you know, kind of right. get my life in order a little bit. Um, but yeah, he was just, 
just a really shitty NCO. And uh, I always made sure that um, in that, in a positive aspect, it made me want to get promoted quicker so I could treat soldiers better than the way I was treated. Right. You know, stupid stuff. Like you'd be standing around in a formation and all of a sudden he would go five, four, three, and you had to run. If you were in sight, you had to do push-ups. like stupid stuff like that. So that's what, that's the thing I hate about the army the most, which I was fortunate to get away from was um, the actual company level, soldier level. Um, I hated getting called back for an NCO getting or a soldier hitting an NCO off duty and you had to go and then you had to do a soldier creed and stand there. Like it was just, it was too childish for me. Got it. So at this point, you're doing just basic, you know, MP stuff, right? Yeah. So a majority of my time was spent. Um, uh, at first, it was well, can't, well, in Germany. So the way Germany is with all their, it's not like a normal big base. Um, they're called concerns, but they're basically spread throughout the city. So there's not like one. It's not like Fort Hood or Fort Bragg. They're like little. You have a commissary PX on one and some housing. You'll have another one, another one with you know different things, different housing. So it was kind of spread out through, throughout the city in Heidelberg. Um, but I ended up doing uh, access control. At the time, General Bell was General Bell was there, and uh, we had contracted German security guards, but uh, doing access control, but. For the main gate of Campbell Barracks, <clears throat> which is where the uh, Houston headquarters was, he wanted MPs. So I spent most of my time, majority of it, doing that until um, <clears throat> maybe eight months later. I, um, we have five platoons in the 529th MP company. So the fifth platoon was in charge of <clears throat> security for the Houston headquarters. And the uh, uh, general's residence, which was basically right next, next to each other. So I was always told, we, we used to see him because you stand outside, you carry an MP5, and you look all high speed, and everybody would be like, oh, you don't want to go there 12 hour shifts. Um, and uh, <laughs> lo and behold, I got called down to the platoon, platoon sergeant office, and hey, you have to go over to uh, the fifth platoon office, and uh, you have an interview. To, for that platoon, I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm like, oh god. Did you think it was punishment? Well, lo and behold, uh, what I end up finding out was they were um, the platoon sergeant um, in the OIC, who was we always had a warrant officer, was CID warrant officer. Um, they were getting pissed off because they kept sending them like shipbag soldiers, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that. Um, they technically only took E4s, and I was a PFC at the time. So I went there, interviewed uh, with a master sergeant, uh, just asking questions about me, blah, blah. Um, I guess he was impressed, and I got told, listen, this day, boom, you've shown up. And uh, there for about a few, for about probably six, eight months, um, I did a majority at nights, but yeah, working and the Yushra headquarters building. Uh, and then, the, you know, we had, we had a, a booth of, outside the uh, general's residence, um, which is General Bell. And then he left and then General McKiernan came in. And then 
uh, who's a deputy was uh, Lieutenant General Spears. So, yeah, so I ended up doing that. Um, I actually had some pretty good leadership at that point. Um, you know, they told me about course. Remember, remember back in the day, the correspondence courses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I ended up, so like, listen, we had a break, just, and of course, you know, it, it's, everybody cheats at them. We had a whole, we had a whole box full of them, of all the answers. So you, you, you I maxed out on correspondence courses like in six months. Um, so I used to do that my time off. Then I had another NCO, uh, who's my team leader, who I guess, I guess, I don't know, we refer to him like his board babies, people who are really good at like doing boards. Mm-hmm. Um, so he told me, you know, I made up a, a study guide of all the stuff, and I, I started studying. Uh, basically, all I did at work was just memorize, memorize ARs, FMs, all kinds of stuff. And next thing I know, I get, um, hey, you're going to the company board. I'm like, okay, so I go to the company board, soldier of the month. Go again, soldier of the month. So that happened twice. And then all of a sudden, I get notified, hey, you – and your team leader are going to the um, 95th MP Battalion Soldier um, of the Quarter Board. So when did that? Um, we both won. Um, I was still a PFC at the time. I, I, I made I did make specialists at two right, at the very at the earliest I could, um, but I was PFC at the time, which that board actually helped me because um, I ended up getting. Uh, Soldier of the Quarter, and then went to uh, 18th MP Brigade Soldier of the Year competition. Uh, unfortunately, my, my land nav skills are horrible. So, didn't, didn't do too well on, on at least the land nav. But, um, so, when I, when I ended up getting making sergeant, uh, I ended up going to the same battalion board, and uh, the sergeant major knew me. He's like, oh yeah, uh, Haley's a good guy. Um, what do you want to do into your career? I'm like this, that, and that. I want to go to, you know, PSD team. Um, he's like, okay. He's like, yeah, you know, just do that for a little bit, and then you know, go off to like you know regular company stuff, and you know, get yourself a team and and do that kind of stuff. So, end up and you know, end up working out well for me. I guess I can memory stuff. So after going through all these boards and everything else, and improving your worth as a as a soldier, does it lead to anything from a job standpoint that's more advantageous for you? Yeah. So, I mean, the army's, very, I mean, as you know, the army's very simple. I, I don't know how it is now, but listen, if you can do decent at PT, you can shoot a rifle and a pistol. Um, and you can memorize stuff and just be where you got to be. I mean, the army's it's literally, it's, it's, it's stupid proof. Um, but yeah. So I ended up, um, actually, as E4, I was a specialist. Um, I get called. Um, actually, I didn't even know when I when I got a waiver for E4. They ended up. I ended up getting called from my platoon sergeant. He's like, "Is this specialist Haley?" I'm like, uh, "Yeah." He's like, "Oh, um, yeah, you get a waiver." So I made E4 very quickly, and then um, E5. I made like two and a half years in. Um, but anyways, yeah, back to your question. So. I ended up um, getting a school date uh, for PSD school, which is in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. It's about three weeks long. So I ended up going there, um, did the 
which is it was a fun course. Um, nothing hard. And then I ended up co- coming back to Germany and ended up on the uh, uh, U.S. Army uh, Commanding General and uh, Deputy Commanding General's uh, <laughs> captive detail. What is it about being on a PSD that's different from being a regular MP? I mean, outside of the um, day-to-day job itself, I mean, it, are you are you better trained in anything else than a regular MP? I mean, yeah, you're trained in like um, it's like PSD is basically like the um, civilian version of um, like a presidential detail or something. You know, it's very, very similar. It's it's the same thing, but it's in the army. Right. So, um, yeah, but you know, you work, first off the, you're working with very professional people. Everybody's on a first name basis. It's not like the regular army, which I loved. No, everybody well, except for the name. except for the general, nobody calls him on a first name. Yes, basis, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I'm, I'm still very good friends with him. Actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gen- yeah, General McKinney. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I still talk to him. I have his wife on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Um, I got to party with with them a couple times, but um, uh, but yeah, but basically, you know, it's a uh, very prof- very professional. Everybody like. Um, I was like when I was E5, I worked with other E5s, E6s, um, and everybody was just on a first name basis. It was very professional. You knew when to play army when you had to. Other yeah. than that, everybody was like, if your name's Matt, Matt, or Kevin, you know, everybody was on a very, very first name professional basis. Um, we basically had nothing to do with our company, which was good. Uh, we had didn't have to, you know, go in for nothing. Um, at the time, our uh, OIC, um, he ended up retiring as CW5, um, John Welch. Um, he made sure that he pretty much nuked the bridge for the company. So <laughs> we didn't have to deal with any, uh, any of the stupid army BS that you have to deal with. As you start working, you know, for a general and doing all this stuff, I'm curious... You know, were you bothered by just sort of having to tag along with whatever the general schedule is? Like, for me, that seems like mundane stuff. Like, oh, the general's going here. We're following. I mean, it almost seems like you're at, like, a beck and call sort of situation. It's – let me tell you something. Um, Executive officers like that, their lifestyle is – they're workaholics. Um. You know, I have to do PT with them. I have to get up in the morning and run five, six miles. Because um, they wanted to run five, six miles. Yeah, that's whatever they wanted to do. You were just there. Um, you know, you, you, I travel, I'll, we'll get into this probably a little, a little bit later, but I traveled all over Europe and the Middle East doing missions. And uh, yeah, you they go to sleep at two o'clock, boom, six o'clock, they're up. That's man. so you're living you're living somebody else's yeah you're living seven. somebody else's life I mean I, yeah that that yeah. to me one I can't ever imagine you know uh, forcing somebody to come on a run with me who didn't want to go on a run with me right like I mean 
when I am, you know, when I would be out with my my other officers, I'd be like, hey, I'm going to get up in the morning and go for a run. You want to join me? No, I'm good. Okay, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, if you want to go, great. I was planning to do it three or four miles. That was it. You know, I mean, it's yeah. oh, no. it's so he hard said, for me to comprehend the idea that to, I have like, these people like, following me around. We, we, we would go to, like, other countries. And um, it's because the way – okay, so the way PSD works is – You'll have a local team, which is about two people who, mm-hmm. who does all the local moves. And then um, you have a schedule. You have an, an, an advanced team. So you have two people. If it's like Iraq or Afghanistan, it's usually like three or four. But so let's say we go to Ukraine. So you go there. You have a, a uh, you meet with the protocol officers before you go. Right. They, they give you everything that's going on. So then you have to go there and then you have to meet your POC. You have to go to all the locations, um, figure out drive times and then figure out what's going on. And then, you know, hotel, then you have to, fit, you have to set up um, all the hotel stuff, get, get the, uh, I mean, like <sighs> card keys, card key, card keys in advance. Um, so it's, it's not only like protection, it's a lot of protocol. No, and then I, you got to figure. I, I and then you got to figure that. out a run route. Yeah, I, I get that, but I'm just like I work for a general now, and and the general has an aide, right? And and even at that, like I know that's just not a job for me. There's a reason why no one ever asked me, and there's a reason why I never volunteered, because it's just not the way that I'm cut. Like it, it doesn't for me personally. It, I, it, it's just not a life that I want to lead. I, I, I don't yeah, was, like people at my beck and call. I don't want to be at somebody else's beck and call. Yeah, it was. I mean, thankfully, um, General McTiernan had he as an aide. He always had an SF guy, uh-huh. um, which was at the time it was Lieutenant Colonel Conkright. Um, was a great dude. And then his his uh, XO was um, uh, Colonel Abrams. Colonel Abrams. Who's now 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 he's a four star general. Yeah, that that's the guy um, I was referring to. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah, his his uh yeah, his father's one or his father was in Vietnam. Yeah, the guy they uh, named the tank after. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah, that's the yeah. one. For those that who weren't sure. Ex-Mel. Yeah, the same yeah. guy. <laughs> well they named the tank yeah. do we name the tank after the father, not you know, the son just happens yep, to yep. So but you get the point. That anyway. was uh Yeah, so I mean he surrounded himself with good people. But um but yeah, everything yeah, going back, you know, we you go around and, and there's things you have to do. You know, you have to go to hospitals, figure out what hospital does what. Uh, site surveys are called. So it's, I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's, but then once he, once he shows up on ground, it's just smooth sailing. It's just. That's just it, man. I'm telling you, like, hats off to you. For me, it's just one of those things where I know it's not my life. It's not the life I would have ever survived in. Really wouldn't. I mean, um, I, I, that's tough. It's really hard for me to wrap my head around it. And again, you know, the upside is you get to do a whole lot of cool things, right? As you mentioned, travel over the world. Yeah, I mean, listen, like, I was, you know, um, as the E5, um, I was set, um, because the way it goes, you always always have like the protection details, and you have have what's called a PSO, Mm -hmm. which is a protective service officer. And they're the one that's with the general nonstop. You're always with them. Um, and uh, as a new E5, I was selected to, uh, if our if our CW4 wasn't traveling with them, 
I was the guy going with him. So I got selected as a very young NCO to um, travel with him. I mean, I mean, listen, it's not like bragging, but you know, we we used to drive to the um, Army Airfield in Heidelberg, get on a, a Hilo, go to Ramstein, and get on a G5 jet. And fly wherever we're going. That's that's, that's amazing. Um, how many one-on-one conversations do you get into with a four-star general as part of his PSD? Like, um, is there ever any shooting the shit with him? Well, he got. I mean, he got to know me pretty well. Um, he he selected me to go with him to Afghanistan. Okay. Um, but uh, is is it any different like, in Afghanistan than running around Europe? Yeah, yeah, because. You know what? He did. He didn't want a lot of security around him in Europe, so he had to be very discreet. Um, Afghanistan, you know, of course, they wanted security. Um, but yeah, I got I got to know him really well. Um, you know, I remember, I remember one time we went to uh, funny story. We went to uh, London, and then from there we went to Cambridge University. He was speaking at the university, um, but we were there, and he knocked on my door. And he's like, hey, uh, he put a 110 into a 240 volt. So he blew his, his uh, the, the, light, the circuit or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, I'll take care of it. So I called down to the desk. And I'm like, all right, so let them know. And I just walked around the hallway, found a closet, and I just reset the circuit breaker. <laughs> and I, went to, I knocked on his door. I'm like, hey, sir, I reset the circuit breaker for you. He's like, you did that? I'm like, yeah, it's a closet on the hallway. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, and, you know, you got to think on your feet. But, yeah, I got to know him. Yeah, we got to go, um, you know, dinners, uh, sit down and talk. Uh, especially, I also worked um, with Lieutenant General uh, Gary Spears, who was an awesome, awesome general. Um, so I got to work with him a lot. He was only allowed – he wasn't allowed in a team. He was just allowed a PSO. So uh, me and my buddy Rob Schuette, um, which I told him to come up, come on this podcast because his his base ended up getting overrun. Um, so I wanted to tell tell his story, but we ended up uh, we would switch off back and forth, and uh, he was yeah just a really really down to earth guy. Hmm. It's. I don't know. Again, I, I've never rubbed up close enough with with four star generals that I have a lot of uh, conversation with them, and I've been at this for you know twenty plus years. Uh, I, so I sort of walk in the other direction when they come yeah, into well, the room. Well, possible. No, it's funny because <laughs> when when we came back from Afghanistan, um, uh, I I left in May. Um, I know we'll get into the Afghanistan part, but I left in May of uh, two thousand nine because uh, I was ETS in, in October. Um, and then he ended up leaving, I think, June. Um, the whole Admiral Mullen thing. Um, it was all political. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we ended up having a, uh, a barbecue at his house. And it was, it was all at, it was all like Middle Eastern attire. So everybody wore, like I had like, I, I'd been to Oman for like two weeks for his uh, vacation. He visited some general, British general he knew. So I got to go there when I was in Afghanistan, and uh, I ended up buying like a man dress and you know a hat and all that kind of stuff. So we all sat around, drank, barbecued. Yeah, it was it was a good time. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so Afghanistan. Uh, you are doing the PSD for General McKiernan in Afghanistan. Yeah, What's so, that like? Um, well, when I first heard about it, that he was going to take charge of ISAF, um, I was actually in Iraq because um, mm-hmm. we did we did about I did about three TDY missions to Iraq. Um, and it's funny, my first one, I remember landing landing in Biop, or um, the air uh, the the air base in, in uh, and I remember landing and you know we get there we go to the JVB which is Joint Visitors Bureau, and I'm looking around I'm like how is anybody fighting a war here? <laughs> Again, I'm brand new, and it's nothing but lieutenant colonels and PB2s walking around. Right. I'm like I'm like what. And then once we started doing our ad, like our ad bonds, um, going out to different, you know, cops and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, Oh, so then you see the guys that are like, you see them out there. You're like, okay, so this is what's really going on. But, uh, but yeah, so I was in, I was in Iraq and, um, uh, I had got told by our OIC, um, who was the time seat before John Welch, uh, that, Hey, uh, he got slotted to take over uh, ISAF in Afghanistan. Um, I'm like, oh, well, I don't know. he's like, hey, he's like, you know, um, do you want to go? I was like, yeah, I'll go in a heartbeat. <laughs> like it wasn't even a wasn't even a, a, a thought in my mind I won't go. So me and my buddy, uh, he's now a major, um, Lane Berg. We ended up. He stayed in. I got out, but um, he went. He went to off. He went to go, go be an officer. Um, like yeah, yeah, we'll definitely go. And uh, ended up uh, me and my buddy Rob Schuette, uh We went to Ramstein. Got on a C-17. Slept on the floor. <laughs> um, it was a long flight. Went to Crete, some Navy base in Crete, and then. Um, we ended up landing up in, um, in Kabul, but so we did like, I did like a left seat, right seat. So I kind of knew what was going on. Um, and then they all flew in, um, kind of familiarization. And then we all flew back to Germany together. And then we ended up, um, I think May of 2008. Uh, me and my buddy ended up leaving from Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany, uh, flying into into Kabul, and I was the mission leader, and he was the um, advanced uh, team chief. So he did all the, he did all the um, in charge of all the like advanced work. Okay. And so, as far as like day to day operations. Or day-to-day lifestyle, what is it like? Um, well, Fridays were always nice because Fridays are like Sundays in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't, you know, it was a sleep-in day. Right. Um, I can't lie, I had I had I had Wi-Fi, I had you know nice quarters, uh, AC, like you know, went to the gym all the time. Um, but we were still always we were always on um, we were outside the wire almost every day. Um, whether it was, um, driving to the, the, 
uh, airport in Kabul or driving to like Ministry of Defense or all these random different places. One time we actually ended up doing, he wanted to do a tour with, he had his um, uh, interpreters with him. And uh, so we did a tour of Kabul and went to some gardens and, I mean, it was, it's not something you would think a four-star general would do. Right. But, yeah, we, we, we went all over the place. We were, um, went to some dam, like, way out. Like, it was, like, an hour drive. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was basically on the move. I mean, every day, like, we were, you know, and then you drop them off, and then basically you just sit there. <laughs> it's not a lot to do. I was I was doing I was working on my bachelor's degree at the time, so I just did schoolwork when we were sitting there. But um, yeah, you, it was. You guys ever get in any danger? Ever get you know have a convoy shot at or anything like that? Uh, no, thankfully not. Um, it's and it's all just luck. Um, you know we used to always get intelligence briefs and uh, we go over the to the U.S. Embassy, which is right down the road from ISF headquarters mm-hmm. um, and get briefings. But no, thank everything that happened was when we weren't there. Like Camp Eggers, which is down the road, ISF, um, they got blown up. Their, the Hesco Bears got blown up. Um, shortly after I left the front gate of ISAF, they uh, did a, um, uh, a car bomb. So I was just very, very fortunate. It's just luck. Yeah. Really, you're out. I mean, we actually went out. When I first got there, of course, you know, you always have that pucker factor. You're always like, you know, really nervous. By the time, I mean, the general was gone. I think he went to Pakistan, I think, for a couple of days for something. And uh, we, went, we went with the Brits, and we went hiking up in the mountains. Oh, wow. With uh, With nothing but... A bag full of grenades and our pistols. Huh. We just went hiking. And you see the signs. There were signs saying mines that way, don't you? So, yeah, it was, it was definitely a good time. When you get back from Afghanistan, what's next for you? So, um, I get back. I fly back uh, by myself uh, from Kabul. Why did you fly back uh, by yourself? Okay, so when I deployed, I was a, um, it's called an IA, individual right, Individual RBT. RBT, right, sure. Yep. So um, uh, what ended up happening was I ended up leaving because I was ETSing soon. So I left, and, and I would have stayed. I think the general ones, he was uh, like hell-bent for like two years, and I would have did two years there in a heartbeat. I was going to say, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you didn't have to go where he went. I mean, you didn't have to stay as long as he wanted to stay. No, because you know what? Because I was going to ETS. I was hell-bent on ETS. And at that point, we already knew that um, that he was going to be leaving. Because hmm. um, uh, yeah, Admiral Mullen came in. And uh, we kind of already knew what was kind of what was going on right. uh, behind the behind the uh, backdrop. So, um, yeah, so he ended up flying in. Uh, we ended up using the uh, Ministry of Defense, which was still kind of like in the green zone. So we ended up using that as like a helo instead of doing, um, using Kabul, the airport. So it was right down the road. So anyways, he flew in, 
and then I had all my stuff, and I got on the Hilo, and I went to Bagram. Um, and thankfully, I knew a guy I used to do PSD with. Uh, he set me up with a place uh, to sleep, which I didn't even need because I ended up flying out uh, later that night to um, – what's that country north of Afghanistan? Um, there's an Air Force base there. But it was flying there. Pakistan then, right there, right? No, not Pakistan. Um, Jalalabad? I mean, Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan, Uzbekistan okay. or One of those. One of those places. One of the stands. Yeah, one of the stands, yeah. So I ended up flying up there and then um, just waited to get manifested on a flight and uh, ended up finally calling back back to Germany and been like, hey, can you guys you know, come pick me up? I'm flying at this time. So I ended up flying back into Germany and it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely a different experience, man, because, when, I mean, going from you're always like in that, orange red zone thinking mm-hmm. and all of a sudden boom i just land right in germany and back to some like civilization um it, it was definitely difficult especially um you know just being me it's not like you know you're going as a company you're going back and um it was just it was it was really fast got it so I ended up going back to germany i was married at the time um to a german girl the sun had to uh you know get back to uh you know family life uh i left my son was kind of a baby so uh, coming back seeing him doing you know doing all these random things um but for- uh, well fortunately when i was in afghanistan i was able to come home twice um i never got charged leave really so not gonna complain huh. <laughs> Yeah, so I well because um, uh, let me think. Because uh, General McKeon had to come back one time for surgery. Um, at a hospital in Heidelberg, so we have to go back, and then actually it happened over Thanksgiving, which actually worked out well. And then we ended up coming back again, um, and then I ended up doing the advon for his. Uh, his leave when he went to Oman. So I got to spend two weeks in Oman, Jordan or no, um, Oman, uh, Muscat, Oman. Right. So, yeah. So I got home and, um, ETS and went back to Wisconsin for a year, went to police Academy, um, which was about what, 12 weeks, 13 weeks. Um, I ended up working with a guy uh, in Germany who was from New York City. Uh, he was stationed at Fort Hamilton as a soldier before he went to Germany. And then he ended up going back and he got a job as a um, GACP, Department of Army Civilian Police. Um, and he asked me, he's like, hey, do you want a job? I'm like, this time I was like, I was, I was out, out for a year already. I was like, yeah, sure. So ended up... Uh, Going driving out to New York City, did all the, you know, the hiring stuff, and moved moved out, and now I'm a desk sergeant for working at Fort Hamilton. Yeah. So how do you end up being a civilian police officer for the Army? Well, you can go on. Uh, all the Army bases are joint. 
you have Department of Army civilian police and you have MPs. Um, and that's more so probably for continuity. Um, so every base you're going to see that. Um, and I just applied online and uh, got hired. And then I ended up, uh, I did end up leaving there for two years. I ended up working at the federal prison in Brooklyn. Um, MDC. And then I went back two years later. And then a year after that, I uh, got promoted to uh, desk sergeant. So is there, is, for somebody who wanted to be in law enforcement, desk sergeant doesn't sound all that, you know, sexy. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm also getting older, so I'm not really looking to, to <laughs> run around and, and do any, you know I mean? It's, it's, listen, it's the greatest job in the world. I, that's all I can tell you. I, uh, I get paid pretty good money for watching YouTube. Oh, well, actually watching your podcast all night. <laughs> so I can't complain. It's it's very quiet. I mean, stuff does happen, but I'm not going to complain part, either. If that's what you're doing with your with your spare time, no, so no, it's it. it's it's very very. It's you know, Fort Hamilton's a very small base. It's all it's pretty much only there for uh, NYC recruiting battalion, and we have a one star there um, for the uh, North Atlantic for the uh, Corps of Engineers. Gotcha. That's it. That's pretty much all. And there's housing, um, PX, commissary. That's pretty much about it. So you're living the life of a law enforcement individual right now. Anything you miss the most about the military? Um, yeah, well, I definitely miss the camaraderie. Um, especially, like, in the area where I worked in. Um Everybody was very professional. There was no army BS. I still am very, very, very close friends with um, a few people that I worked with. You know, I go visit them. They visit me. We talk all the time. So def- definitely the camaraderie. I mean, you don't you, you don't get a lot of that like in, in the civilian world. Is is there anything that you see about? your job now is civilian law enforcement versus where the, what you see military law enforcement like now. And do you, do you wish that you had done more in the MP core itself or done something different? Um, you know what? I, I, I'm very, very fortunate, um, to do what I did when I was in the army. It was, you know, very, very, it actually doesn't even exist anymore because you saw, you headquarters now is a three star general. Mm-hmm. So there is no PSD for the most part. Um, is it's all CID. CID does a lot of stuff. Criminal Investigation Division. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very fortunate. Uh, made a lot of good connections. Um, as far as working for the Army as a civilian, um, it's just as messed up as being in the Army. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a mess. It's it's. You know, and then you know, every two years you get a new garrison commander, new sergeant major, and it's like, you know, every two years you're you're reinventing the wheel. Um, so it's definitely not much different. The only thing different is I get to go home at the end of the day, and they can't bother me. Right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It's 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 
the civilian side, well, especially in the DACPs, it's uh, oh, it's a mess. <laughs> it's headaches, but um, other than that, it's easy job. I like it. I, I still get to serve, you know, uh, in the army as a, as a civilian, so I can't complain. Um, I'll ask a loaded question. <laughs> What do you think of policing nowadays? I'm just curious. Uh, obviously, it's a very tense topic. Oh, it's a great yeah. question. And you've great, seen great you've seen it from both sides, military and civilian. And as you said, yeah. you know you're older now, so you're not on the streets, you know, working a beat every single day. But uh, w- without getting yourself in too much hot water, just kind of curious. Oh no, 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 I have no. I believe me, I'll be I'll be very transparent with this one. Um, uh, I've I've actually worked the gate um, back when um, I was a Michael Brown was killed and I actually had uh, a Navy recruiter come to the gate and pulled up and uh, I was just, he was, he, he was reaching for his ID in his back pocket. He goes, Oh, I'm just grabbing, I'm, gra- I'm, I'm just grabbing my ID. Don't shoot me. <laughs> that's sad, man. I mean, that's listen, the army is like the most, the military in general, it's like, it's a melting pot. I, I was just disgusted. Um, as far as policing wise, I'm, it's sad. It really is. Um, you know, if what one officer does is bad, um, you can't do that. To, you can't hold that against everybody. Um, I know NYPD, they're, they're, they're retiring like crazy. I work with a lot of retired guys. Um, Philadelphia, I just read, um, they, they can't even get enough people to, to have a class. Wow. So, you know, it's sad. It, it, what, what gets me is good cops don't like the shitty cops. Right. So I don't understand why people, but now it's like, just like that shooting in, um, in Ohio, like totally justified shoot. Totally. They're still they're still ranting and raving about it, but but nobody wants to. But and this this is the hard truth. Nobody wants to go and talk about all the lives that are killed by black and black crime in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah, but, I mean it, it's yeah. look. I, I'll say this much. I I think we need to take a hard look and, and think about retraining uh, certain methods, right? I, I think it's fair to say that. I think reasonable people can all agree with that, that there needs Absolutely. to needs to be a, a level of retraining. And it's not an easy task, mind you. I mean, you, you're you talking about across the country with, in any given state, you got 30 or 40 different police departments, right? Depending on the size of the state easily. So mm-hmm. you're talking about, you know, something across the board that needs to change. And so it's a very long arduous process and i'm not saying we shouldn't undertake it but uh, from that standpoint i think we all can agree that there needs to be a paradigm shift in the mentality of how we police that said i don't know if we'll ever be able to control the narrative or change the narrative around police other than the level of accountability that they're held to right nationwide as we see all these things happen and it's um listen it's a tough job yeah i mean you're making you're making decisions 
I mean, my old man did it for 30 years, man. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, you know, I mean, it's not, um, and those, and those officers who are, are shitty officers, well, they should be held accountable. I totally agree. Yeah, very, 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 uh, tough job to take at this point in time, you know, and, and as you mentioned, there are there are guys who have been doing this for a long time who are getting out early or retiring or moving to different areas to be cops because it's just not advantageous for them to stay where they are at this point in time. I, I understand it. Uh, well, well, that that you got other you have um, places, other places now are just telling cops don't arrest people or don't do things for for minor minor violations. Right, it's yeah. happening. It's happening in California. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, my heart goes out to all the people who are doing real police work, because I'm definitely not. But, uh, yeah, my heart goes out to them. It's, 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 it's a tough job. It really is, and it's a thankless job. Certainly is. Well, look, I mean, what you did for your short amount of time in the military, relatively short, all things considered, the five years, was not thankless. Certainly, uh, the PSD job is one that's unique. Uh, it, it's not for everybody, as, as I've said and as we've discussed but it's one that, that has its role, and it's certainly important to the people who uh, you are choosing to or being told to protect every single day. So, uh, I mean, it's again, it's perspective that we've we've never had on the show before because we've never had anybody who ran a PSD, or if they did, they never told us. Yeah, that's why that's why I reached out to you. I figured it was kind of a unique um, unique experience that I wanted to share with other people, just a different aspect of the life um, of being in the military, especially working more towards the like executive level. Yeah, and, and and again, it's uh, it's enlightening. I'm always I'm always intrigued by, even after doing this for as long as I've been in the military, you know, there are still things that I don't know. There are parts of the military I don't know about, right? There there are there are areas I've never been exposed to. So I certainly thank you for for sharing that with us and sharing your part of the story. And certainly, uh, again, thank you for being a huge fan, man. We appreciate it. No, definitely, man. Listen, I I'm overly grateful to be on your podcast. Huge fan. So. No, and I hope more people, if anything, more people take the lesson from you that it's okay to reach out to us and, and want to tell your story. You know, it's definitely. Important, it's important. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get my buddy uh, Rob Shuby to uh, reach out to you because uh, he was at a base, a Polish base that was overrun. Um, I think you'd have a really, really good story. Well, absolutely. So again, we appreciate everything, man. Thank you for the story, and Kevin Haley, thank you for being part of the Hazard Ground. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Kill Cliff's Hazard Ground Podcast, hosted by Mark Zeno. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at producer at hazardground.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.